listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Jack Singer on the show. Now, we've had Jack on the show before. He is a sports psychologist, and his expertise is helping professionals overcome the emotional and the mental aspects that keep them from performing at a high level. He works with people in all different industries. He holds a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology and a postdoctorate in clinical and sports psychology. And he's combined careers as both a licensed psychologist and a professional speaker and a success acceleration coach. I think you're going to get some great ideas from Jack's content today. And our topic today is how to master the three key habits of burnout resilient professionals. I hope you get some great ideas from Jack's content today. And as always, if you get a chance, please give us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a previous guest on today. I'm excited about this topic because this is something that everybody can benefit from. We've got Dr. Jack Singer on the show with us today. Hey, Jack, thanks for being here today. Scott, it's a pleasure, and uh, thanks for the honor of having me come back for an encore presentation. I love it. Absolutely. Standing ovation. Absolutely. <laughs> and I love your content because it's it's real. It's founded on substance. I like the fact that you've done a lot of sports psychology work because that really ties into professional services because people have to perform at a high level. And when they do, sometimes they burn out. So kind of talk a little bit about that. Share how someone like you, a professional sports psychologist, how did you kind of wind up working with professionals and with their clients? Well, what happened was I was, uh, you know, well ensconced in Southern California working, you know, every month because of the weather there with, with professional athletes and with world champions, three Olympic gold medal winners. And then uh, in 2008, I received a random call from the head of the Australian Financial Advisors Association, and he said that he had read some of my stress mastery work that was published and wanted to know if I could help the financial advisors in Australia because of what was happening in the financial services industry. And at that point, I started researching financial services and had an epiphany. The epiphany was... Why can't I teach the same blueprint for success that I've taught the three Olympic gold medal winners and hundreds of elite athletes, professional and amateur, to every professional? So I started off with financial advisors, wrote a book for them, and now I, I provide it for business owners, for entrepreneurs, for doctors, for lawyers. It's all the same skill set, just a different category of, where, of how they're working because I see all professionals as potential champions, but most of them never live up to their potential for the reasons that I talk about. And I teach people how to change that. So you talk about two different personality types that make professionals prone to burnout. What do you mean by that? Can you give more details about these types and and sure. what do we do if we have one of these personalities? You've probably heard the term type A personality. We mm -hmm. know that many professionals, if not most professionals, encompass that syndrome of uh, personality traits, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that it puts the, those kinds of personalities put so much pressure on people and their own, their own personality puts so much pressure on them that many times it really subtracts from their performance. So for example, a type A personality who is so over-consumed with his or her job 
may do the job 24-7 and it gets them away from their family and it causes disruption, which uh, interferes with their ability to even perform the job because they're getting complaints from home and not sharing your time with us and things like that. Or one of the other traits that type A people have is this hostility that's underneath the surface and they come across as angry and irritable and impatient and that causes disruptions in their lives. The other personality trait that seems to be related to stress is something we call the people pleaser traits. And these are people who are, want to avoid confrontations at all costs, so they allow themselves to be manipulated by other people, and then they get angry at themselves for it wow. and beat themselves up. So I usually recognize very quickly which of those two personality types that my coaching clients or my if I'm speaking at a company or what have you, what, what they're traits are. And I teach them how to overcome those particular traits and make modifications. They don't have to change their personality, just make modifications. So they're not vulnerable to that kind of stress and burnout. So let me ask you this. And I promised myself I wasn't going to do therapy on the podcast. So let me ask you, where did this come from? If we see ourselves in one of those areas, is it because we were firstborn children? Is it because we went through trauma? What is it that causes us to be in either of those categories? Well, we know that our personalities are mainly genetic. So it's a genetic flow coming from your whole family tree, not just your parents. And what do you mean by that? Is that, is that like hereditary? Is yeah, it yeah, uh, mental or what? are hereditary, but they're modifiable through the environment. So things you learn, things you watch. For example, if you, let's say you have a people-pleasing personality because your dad was that kind of person. And so you saw him avoid confrontations. You saw him avoid asserting himself when he really should. And you're noticing that he is really not not happy uh, because Mm -hmm. of some of these traits that he lets people take advantage of him. He's afraid to speak up. Well, sometimes you can modify your own behavior by saying, I love my dad. And I love being like him, but that's a trait that I don't think I'm going to re- is going to serve me well. So that's one way you can recognize that maybe I need to modify this in okay. some way. So the short answer is we we get our personalities mainly genetic, but there is an environmental component in which we model other people's behavior or avoid the behaviors that we don't think are appropriate. Okay, so let me kind of see if I get this straight. I appreciate you elaborating so well on that. The two different traits, what are they? How would you categorize those? Type A personality and people pleaser personality. And the people pleaser. Okay, so let's kind of look at the people pleaser one first, or, or in general, either of those. How does somebody know that they fit in one category or the other? Or are there other personality types that they might have that would contribute to, to burnout? Well, there are many other personality types. These are just two that seem to contribute directly to burnout. Now, the answer to your question, how would people know? Now you're getting into something I'm going to offer all of your visitors uh, because I wrote a book. I wrote two big books that address this. One was for teachers. One was for financial advisors, but it applies to anybody. I just Mm -hmm. happened to write those books because I was working with those groups of people. So my latest book, The Financial Advisor's Ultimate Stress Mastery Guide, Scott, I will, that's a $37 book that I'll provide them online for 15 bucks. They just have to oh, send me an email. And in we'll, that book, we'll put the links on the show notes too. Describing those personality types and what you can do about them. So yeah. it's all in the book. They just have to email me at drjack at advisingtheadvisors.com and I will send them the book for $15. That's great. And we'll, we'll put any links that you have and also your email address on the show notes. So anybody that's listening, if you want to reach Jack, 
you can just reach out to him through the show notes and find his contact info there. So you talk about a thinking pattern worksheet in your book. What is that? And how can they get that? And what is that going to do to help them? Okay, so one of the three key habits of successful professionals um, who avoid burnout is that they recognize their thinking. They understand when their thinking is healthy and when their thinking starts wavering and becomes toxic. And I'll go into more detail if you like on that. But my thinking pattern worksheet, which is in the book as well, is a template for them to recognize what their thoughts are whenever their emotions are getting out of whack. Because it's always the thoughts that lead to the emotions. It's not an event. I mean, what's an, what's an example of that? Let's say a business owner is struck by the COVID pandemic and is concerned about whether their business will survive. It's not the pandemic that caused their stress. It's not the consequences of the pandemic that caused their stress. It's the conversation they had inside their head about those issues that causes the stress. If they say to themselves, I don't know what I'm going to do because my business depends on people coming to my store or my place of business, that will cause stress. On the other hand, if they say to themselves, this too shall pass and I know I'll be back to normal, maybe I can learn something from doing things virtually that I never thought about, then you're not going to be stressed as much, uh, even though the situation is the same. So situations and events that we face never cause our emotions. The emotions are caused by these conversations we have in our head, Scott, and we have a choice. Do you want to have a healthy conversation or you want to have a toxic one? Most people by habit have toxic conversations where they start sentences like, what if this happens? What if the two worst words ever put together in the English language because they're always followed by something negative, right? Uh, or I hope this doesn't happen, or I don't know if I can do this. These are toxic kinds of internal conversations. So the whole thrust of my book is to teach people to recognize those kinds of conversations and nip them in the bud before they happen. People who resist stress, who build resiliency, understand that, and they stop those conversations dead in their tracks. You know, that's interesting you say that. One of the things, whenever I speak to groups, I'll speak on either business development or sales performance. And it's not just the relationships we have with other people, it's the relationship we have with ourselves, being able to manage that. And here's an example, kind of to your point, I'm reading a book right now called How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, The Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. And it talks about how he would have these mental exercises to remind him of who he was and to keep his ego in check. And even when he was facing his death, how there would be certain exercises that he would see his reflection in a glass and remind himself that previous emperors had been in his shoes and they died and they were all in the dust. And he was, you know, just to kind of keep the ego in check and things like that. So I find it interesting that today, thousands of years later, we still can get these mental tools to kind of manage the emotions and how we interpret things. Let me ask you this. Have you seen through the crisis, have you seen an increase in people talking to you about how the crisis has impacted their emotional health? Oh, there's no question, Scott. Thanks for the example of Marcus Aurelius. I hadn't been aware of that. But yes, I uh, in my coaching with my coaching clients, Many of them have began to panic when in the early parts of the pandemic because they didn't see a way out of this. They didn't right. see any silver linings. And so a lot of my work was focused on 
stop and take a deep breath and let's look at the logic here. One of the ways I teach people to change their thinking is to look at the logic. Do you have any evidence to support this frightening idea that you have? Or is it just an idea that like, I have to close up my business? Is there any valid data to show they have to close up your business? If so, let's work on that. But most of the time, there isn't any valid data. It's just something that popped in your mind or you heard other people talking about it or you watched the negative news and you started thinking about it. And now you're worried as if there's a 100% chance it's going to happen. So what is the probability that what you're worried about is really going to happen? And are you thinking mainly emotionally instead of logically? So these are the, and this is all in the book too. These are the kinds of breakdowns of thinking that I teach people to recognize so that they can begin to change their thoughts. Oh yes, I shouldn't be worried about that because I'm overreacting. Right. I'm catastrophizing. I'm thinking of the worst possible outcome, even though the probability of that is slim. So that's some of the ways that we teach people to recognize their toxic thinking and what to do about it. What is the most surprising element? the surprising thing that you've seen, what surprised you the most from the crisis and how it's impact people's ability to perform and manage their emotions? Well, I think that, you know, you take someone who had a successful business for many years, perhaps it was passed down from a father or mother or other relative. It's been successful. They didn't have to reinvent the wheel. They knew exactly how to run it. And then when they run into this roadblock, They looked at it as like a a mountain that could never be climbed or you can't go around it or you can't drill through it. It's like, I'm finished. So it's this all or nothing thinking. That, again, is part of the type A personality syndrome. They tend to be all or nothing thinkers. If I can't be perfect, I'm a failure. And so I started teaching people, you don't have to be perfect to be successful. In fact, I make a statement that perfect is the enemy of good. If you focus so much on being perfect, you're going to not be good in most cases because perfection is impossible to maintain. So So, so what do you mean by that? A lot of people who jump to the conclusion that this is a disaster because I can't run the perfect business like I was doing before. And it's interesting when you say that, I consult, as you know, to the legal industry. I recruit partners for big law firms and I'm working with global firms. They've got to be perfect. Every document that they send out to a client has to be perfect. How would you recommend somebody that's in that kind of high pressure environment? How do they manage this emotionally? Yeah, well, I do work with a lot of attorneys and law firms as well. One of my daughters is a high pressured attorney. That's right. I remember you saying uh, that. Um, whose manager keeps telling her to read my books, which she doesn't <laughs> do. So in any case, uh, Yeah, I think attorneys need to recognize, yes, there's a certain amount of perfectionism in the way they structure their documents and their communications, but does it always have to be ideally that way in order to accomplish what they're accomplished so they put too much pressure on themselves? Let me give you a good example. My wife has a contract with a major hospital because my wife owns one of the hospital's buildings that they have. Uh, clients come to on outside of the hospital. And the hospital wanted to renegotiate uh, the contract with my wife. So they sent, their lawyer sent a very simple addendum that was easy to understand and it made perfect sense. But my wife called the corporate attorney and said, would you please look this over? And the corporate attorney redlined this addendum to the point of its ad nauseum, if I was reading this on the other end, I'd say, what is this? I mean, let's just get to the basic point of what we're doing, which they did already. 
And this person just added things. We got to watch out for this and watch out for that and so forth. So is that lawyer doing his job? Yes. Is it over the top? Yes. Is it necessary? No. To still get the same point across. So let me ask you this. If somebody is growing in their self-awareness and they see that they're starting to burn out, when should they take action? Uh, Have you seen professionals where it's too late, they're already burned out, they just can't get back on the horse? Or are there tells that people have that indicate to them that there are going to be problems if we don't modify our behavior soon? Yes, I really, that's a really very insightful question, Scott, because what we really want to do is do preventive work with people so they recognize these things before they get out of control. Sure. One of the factors in burnout is fatigue. If suddenly mm-hmm. you're becoming very fatigued and you can't emotionally stay with what you're supposed to be doing and you're not getting enough sleep, which is contributing to the fatigue, that's one symptom of burnout. A sense of um, control, you're feeling like you're losing control of what you need to be able to do and it's bothering you on a consistent basis and you're thinking about it all the time, that's another one. If you're becoming very cynical suddenly about things that you weren't cynical before, and a lot of times... You need to trust people who love and care about you, like your spouse and people like that, to tell you that they're noticing these behaviors because the person may not notice it themselves. It could be insidious and slow to come to the surface. But if you have people who see, for example, I had a lawyer who was referred to me who didn't think there was anything wrong, but his wife said, you're very cynical and you're very angry and you're very irritable. I want you to talk to someone. And he had no clue that he was coming across that way and thought she was out of her mind but she was accurate. Another one is a sense of inefficiency, like suddenly you're feeling like I can't do this anymore. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. These are all signs of burnout. When that's happening, you can nip these things in the bud by working with the things that my book tells you or that I could tell you or come to your office and teach you to do or that maybe that even the things that you're doing with law firms and other business people can help them to recognize this because if we nip it in the bud, it won't happen, or it will happen at a much lower degree than if you let it go uncontrolled. You know, you many know, people who get divorced get divorced because they've made these changes inside their head. They don't know they're doing it, and they won't. They don't get any help, and before they know it, they've destroyed a relationship that was wonderful because of all of these other complex things that are, they're working on and not getting help with. You know, I think you have said at least six or seven extremely insightful things there. And the one thing I want to kind of bring up is talking about, I'd say what is not necessarily a negative stigma, but of knowing that somebody needs help, knowing that there's nothing wrong with talking to a counselor or a therapist. And it's not just significant issues. It's everyday life. It's uh, things that kind of what you're talking about with uh, just normal things in life. What do you think somebody should do if they feel like they need to get some professional help? Should they talk to a sports psychologist, someone like you? What do you recommend? Well, the sports psychology part is not the issue. Most people, unless they're an athlete, don't need to talk to a sports psychologist. I just came at it that way. Right. Before I was a sports psychologist, I was a clinical psychologist too. And that's the kind of person you need to talk to. But you may not need a therapist to help you. You may need uh, just a wise coach to help you, right? something like that. But here's another thing I'm doing just for your audience. If anyone in your audience feels that they have something they want to talk to someone like me about, I will give them a free coaching session. Oh, that's great. 
because I want them to be able to benefit from this and to learn what they can do, what steps they can take to resolve their problems. So a free coaching session, again, they just have to email me at drjack at advisingtheadvisors.com. That's advisors, ors.com, and say they're interested in the coaching session, and I'll provide it for them completely complimentary with no obligation. Well, thank you for that, Jack. Let me ask you this. What else can people do to kind of see when these thoughts are starting to come up? You mentioned paying attention to what their loved ones say about them, noticing that they're becoming fatigued, they're becoming cynical. What are some other indications and what are some other other things people can do to kind of manage that? Well, the key to all of this, and this is on the thinking pattern worksheet, is the first thing to do is recognize when you're engaging in an emotion that you're not comfortable with. Anxiety, irritation, impatience, anger, fatigue, whatever the negative emotion is, write it down. Write down, I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm feeling worried right now. I'm feeling angry right now, whatever it is. Step two is what were you thinking about right before you realized you were feeling that emotion? Because it's that pattern of thoughts that caused the emotion. And then once you understand what you were thinking about, you can then recognize whether those thoughts are logical, whether they made sense, or whether they're illogical and toxic. And again, the template in the book explains in detail how to do this with action steps. Well, this is great, Jack. And as you know, in all of my podcasts, I like my guests to summarize things and action steps as you've done. And I really appreciate that. We're going to put all of your links on the show notes. I want to thank you for being a guest here. I'm sure we'll have you back on again because there's no end to the amount of ideas that you have that can really help us. And tell us again, we're going to put the links on the show notes besides the coaching. What are some other offerings that you have besides your books? Do you speak at conferences? Do you yeah, do I, I'm a keynote sessions? speaker. A keynote speaker. One of my uh, most uh, frequently recommended speeches is developing the mindset of a champion. And I customize it for the audience, whether it's attorneys, business owners, doctors, I customize it for that group. I have another program called How to Live Much Longer Than Your Kids Hoped You Would, (laughs) which is the psychology of life extension. Oh, wow. What do we know about people who live past 100? Things that you can develop yourself that are all psychological. So I have that program. And uh, and I talk to... uh, you know, how to prevent hardening of the attitudes in your workplace, whatever the workplace may be. So those are the three most popular keynotes that I have. And I have online courses for, uh, especially for financial professionals where they can get continue education credits. And then my coaching, that's what I do. That's great, Jack. Thank you for being on the show. We'll have you back on here again. I like the idea of overcoming the, uh, what did you say? The hardening of the attitudes? Is that yeah, what it was how called? To, how to prevent hardening of the attitudes. That's great. Yes. Well, thank you again for being a guest on my show, Jack. It's my pleasure always, Scott. You're a great interviewer and I love the questions and I love the way you can take one question and it leads to another one. You're very insightful. Well, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.